Welcome to the Shanti Sound Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Byrne, and to celebrate the 10-year anniversary of Shanti Sound, I've started my very own podcast exploring one of my favourite topics, the healing power of music and sound. I'm a lifelong musician and I've also been working extensively with sound therapy and sound healing for many years now. And I'm guessing that perhaps like me, you're here because you're also interested in all things to do with healing music and sound. Over the last 10 years, both through traveling and the internet, I've met some pretty awesome people and I'm excited to get to know them even better through these interviews. I'm really interested in people and what draws them to begin sharing music and sound in a healing or therapeutic way and in learning more about the healing and uplifting effects of immersing in sound and music. So if you do enjoy this podcast, I would love you to hit the subscribe button on whichever app you're listening on and do feel free to leave a review or a comment. And you can also check out the show notes from this and every episode at shantisound.com.au forward slash podcast. My guests on this episode are Darren Curtis and Bradley Pitt, who together make up the duo Sacred Resonance. They work as artists and educators, and they've been composing, creating live sound baths, producing art installations, and performing sacred music, as well as presenting across Australia and overseas for the last 20 years. Sacred Resonance was founded in 1998 and incorporates visionary thinking and higher experience of the divine. Their work includes immersive experiences of sacred art and music, education through future sciences, which aims to help facilitate an interconnectedness for the mind, body and spirit. They also specialise in the latest discoveries in musicology, archaeoacoustics, which is acoustics in temples and pyramids, full dome visual immersive experiences and brain body entrainment with beat frequencies working with new consciousness sciences. They've composed numerous meditation tracks, produced large-scale award-winning art sound installations and mastered sacred music CDs for artists around the world and composed eight albums. Darren and Bradley were so interesting to talk to and I'm sure you will enjoy this podcast. So... Welcome to Shanti Sound. Here is Sacred Resonance. Hi, Darren. Hi, Bradley. How are you guys? Hi. Hi, Michelle. How are you going? We're good. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it's lovely to have you both with me today. Yeah, likewise. We're really excited to do this. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to have you guys. You, you have been doing this for so long together and uh, I just can't <laughs> wait to find out all about everything that you get up to with the world of healing music and sound. But mm-hmm. first, I would love to know a little bit about each of you, about your background, where you grew up, where you are now, and anything in between <laughs> that you feel like sharing. Who wants to start? Me well, Darren can start first. I mean. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah, I'm, my early childhood, I've travelled around the world, 
born in Tasmania, started school in Papua New Guinea, lived in Vanuatu, in Sydney. So my parents have always travelled around the world. So I've always had different experience of cultural experiences, of course, the cultural experience of sound and ceremony and different Indigenous cultures around the world, especially in, in PNG and Lay, you know, a whole experience of the, the highlands and Bougainville and you know, the different ceremonies and different mud men. And, you know, I've always been fascinated by ancient cultures and their, their, their idea of ritual and connection to different aspects of sound and their different levels of consciousness, like we have here in the Indigenous communities in Australia, the Dreamtime, always been fascinated by those areas and been grown up from those environments. Now, of course, lived in LA for many years. <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. And yeah, me, well, I haven't had a lot of venture as a child and traveling, but yeah, I'm raised here in Adelaide. And pretty much, um, yeah, my journey's been somewhat unique, how I've come into the whole area of sound and, and spirituality. As a kid, I was very fascinated in astronomy. I was absolutely obsessed with anything to do with um, astronomy. So that sort of began my whole journey from really when I was really young to um, in my teens when I really had certain experiences in that whole area with other levels of intelligence. So that opened my whole mind to a whole different way of thinking and experiencing. Mm. Wow. Well, it sounds very interesting, both of you. (laughs) It's so interesting to know just a little bit about those those influences that brought you to where you are. Mm. Yeah. So you've been working together for 20 years plus? Yeah, plus. I think we met in 1998, I think. Oh, wow. oh yeah, no, end of 97. End of 97, yeah. early, early 98, yeah. yeah. The 90s. Yeah, 90s, yeah. <laughs> how did you meet and how did you come to be doing this together? Yeah, I was running um, meditation groups, um, which was um, world peace meditations and activations in certain grid points. And um, Brad coming along to some of the meetings and we just hit it off um, energetically. Um, he had a really deep understanding of spirituality and other levels of consciousness connections. And I had a real fascination then beginning with sound and meditation and what sound could do in different states of meditation. And I guess where, um, like when we're talking about my background, where it began when I was 13, around 12, 13, I had certain experiences with these um, beings that appeared to me in meditation. And I didn't really know about, you know, what I was doing. I was just like closing my eyes and had these certain experiences. And um, I had experiences with like metal bending and sort of mind over matter sort of realities. And this sort of progressed over, over the years. And um, actually, I was guided to go to all these different points to meditate. And um, even though my parents thought I was a bit crazy in what I was doing, I was guided to actually go to this particular place where I met Darren. And so, yeah, I was told by spirit to meet Darren, that we had to um, work together and that what we're going to be doing together is going to be pretty much what we're going to do for the rest of our lives, pretty much. And, and um, yeah, we had certain experiences, information given to us, and we've been then working together ever since. Yeah, it was those experiences, first experiences of um, using certain sounds like harmonic overtone singing. I was starting to get fascinated into sound therapy and music therapy. And um, receiving through different states of meditation that sound is going to be a way that is going to become to the planet. It's going to transform consciousness on a mass scale. 
So I was getting these messages that it's not going to be a one-on-one music therapy. You're going to have people lying down in these big sound baths and had all these visions of like these experiences. And of course, back then it was a lot of just about music therapy and sound therapy one-on-one, but I had no, I want to, you know, be in these big groups and performances. And um, my background, um, I was brought up a lot in, in computers and computer technology and always fascinated by that. So always saw a way I could interface or somehow interface technology and sound in unique ways. And so that's really started our journey in Sacred Resonance in 1998. We formed Sacred Resonance and we received our little symbol there with the pyramid of the spiral, which to us represented going into the experience of sound on different levels of consciousness. Mm. Mm. And I guess with Sacred Resonance, many of us, that's how we came up with this name. In 1998, we went to the Flinders Ranges to Wilpina Pound, and we went even further up north to some other remote spots. And we had this very profound, you could say, paraphysical experience where we were given information about understanding certain mantras and certain use of sound. And in that communication, we actually got given the symbol. It actually appeared to us. And we were told about how it connects to the Great Pyramid and it connects into understanding the resonance in pyramids. And at this time, we didn't really understand what this actually meant, um, apart from, you know, we've, we were actually studying a, um, a paraphysical, you could say, textbook called The Keys of Enoch by Dr. Hertak, which has been instrumental throughout our whole life in inspiring us in our work. Mm-hmm. But at this time, we didn't really understand. And so we had this vision and... Basically, because I study a lot of the sacred traditions, I have a fascination in anything to do with spiritual traditions from all different religions. And Darren was really much into resonance. It came naturally together that we just basically call each sacred resonance. I was into the sacred and Darren's into resonance, so we combined that together. Yeah, in this unique site, we had like a big um, a chamber and a, and a sort of a um, canyon, and it was really resonant in terms of sound. And mm. we learned that these initiates would sit on certain mountaintops and they would just whisper or sing to themselves silently and down the bottom you could hear the echo patterns of resonance and this was done over generations of initiation and i and i we started to realize that these points these sacred um points were important for initiation and ritual and they use sound as a key component and so we we realized that there's is a missing element to archaeology mm. and a missing element to ethnomusicology that it's, it's resonance and sound but it's the sacredness of that. And what is what sounds did they use? What mantras did they use in ceremony to put them into different states of consciousness and experience those other realities? And then so from that, we started experimenting with sound, started using um, harmonic overtone singing and all these experiences in these sites. And in meditation, I started to hear different levels of sound in meditation. And I started hearing like um, the ringing of bells, the buzzing of bees, the rushing of waters on the inner planes. I'm like, what are these sounds? And I started reading some of the ancient texts, especially some of the um, ancient Upanishads and those other Sanskrit texts and some of the, the work of the different Eastern traditions. And they said, in meditation, you hear these sounds. And I'm like, well, I want to try and create these sounds in some form. And I said to Brad, we should do that. And so we thought, then I started our journey. Well, how do we go about creating these experiences for people, you know, what do we do? I mean, and then I guess I trained Darren a lot in meditation because yeah. I used to do a lot about between four to six hours a day. I was really into meditation. And so certain experiences of hearing sounds and perceiving it as well in color. So Darren and I worked really well together because as Darren would have inspiration to play certain sounds, I would actually hear and see the colors of those sounds. And then so basically I used to visualize like a, bl- a blank canvas 
and paint in my mind certain pictures. And as I'm painting that, that would also translate into certain sounds. And so Darren and I worked together in creating and composing music through me painting in my mind through him translating that into sound. Because Brad has this ability, like sort of like synthesia, where you can see um, color as sound. Um, and so this is, I've come up with these ideas and then you sort of see what we're, I'm composing. And so you say what sort of what colors they are. So it's a, it's a unique way of looking at it differently. Mm. And um, so we thought then, you know, how do we bring this experience to people? What, what can we do? And really the only way I thought about it was go through formal training, music training first. Most people don't know is that when I was younger, I used to play in a blues band. <laughs> so I was obsessed with, with blues music and that sort of stuff and um, playing electric guitar and that sort of thing. And, you know, when I was only very young, but I left all that. But I think that musical ability inside was still there as we found out that Adelaide Flinders Street School of Music had a technology department. Then we thought, well, I should go to uni and Brad can help me sort of get through it. And <laughs> started off in two years of TAFE and then four or five years of university. Then the first electronic music department started up there. Very primitive, but of course now the sound art and that is taken off on a whole nother level. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, there's a lot, even just in that, there's a lot to just digest. Wow, guys. Mm. I'm interested in exploring a little bit more understanding a little bit more about those grid points that you mentioned and there might be people listening who've never heard about this and so where are they how how do you discover them how do you how do you access them what tell me more about this activation of the grid points mm. I'll, I'll just start off first a bit of a background then break sort of go on from there going forward our work has been with the academy for future science that's the work of the kids of enoch with doctors jj hertak and around the world we have a lot of different musicians, um, archaeologists, geologists, spiritual thinkers that are sort of like a global think tank looking at new areas of research and how to really cross disciplines of research, how to cross, for example, archaeology and sound, how to cross consciousness and sound, and how to look at how these different areas interrelate on, on terms of a, a global consciousness level. And what we found interesting at going to a lot of these rock art sites, especially petroglyph sites, which are pecked. Um, through stonework and also painting sites as well around Australia. And we found that they had really high points of resonance and acoustics that you go out into a, a plateau or go into a certain canyon, they chose specific areas to do their rituals and to do their ceremonies. And as we researched more and more and more, we found out that they picked them because there was a resonant quality. There was echo patterns and resonance patterns that mimic the spirits and mimic the different ancestors in these sites and so we wanted to we wanted to we thought well maybe we need to start measuring these points and start looking at what are the acoustic patterns what are the acoustic measurements and what but, levels did they use in terms of mantras and sacred names and expressions but to go to the actual grid points yeah. these are like unique you could say openings or portals that many see that are on the planet the Keys of Enoch, the Book of Knowledge, the Keys of Enoch, published in 1973, showed certain maps pointing out these certain locations on the earth. And they're based upon a certain harmonic, a certain mathematical relationship. For instance, looking at the dodecahedron, the icosahedron geometry superimposed on the planet, gave you certain key points or points where they cross on these lines. And we find a lot of sacred sites or unique anomalies in these areas. And so, hence, Beth Hagens, who was another grid research that we connected with, back, who um, sort of made it very popular in the 1970s, late 1970s, 
um, people really took onto this with the ley lines and all these different areas. And so what the Keys of Enoch pointed out is that in these key areas, this is a places where certain consciousness, you could say, upgrade or certain events took place. And so the ancients marked these locations with certain sacred stones or mm. built certain temples or um, other sites around them. And they always connect to the stars. And this is what I was interested in because this was something that many um, grid researchers were looking at is how the grid zones were also interconnected to the greater heavens, how they also connect to the star points. And so we researched a lot of that. But what's important in activating these zones was understanding the sound. And this is the work that we were fascinated with Academy of Future Science that we were doing is that they were looking at how using certain musical linguistics, acoustical resonance in these sites, especially in, in the Great Pyramid or in the Mayan pyramids and others that may have been built purposely for the purpose of creating resonant chambers to create certain states of consciousness, which then one would then use the temple as you could say portals of consciousness to go to different star points. Um, you see that in Egypt. And so we were really interested in what are these acoustic sounds in these zones? What was it that helped to transport your consciousness? And did, and did they leave musical scales and, in a sense, these musical patterns built into the architecture of the stonework as a, a, a future artifact for us to find and then to, to, in a sense, retune our bodies and reconnect our bodies with mm. those different musical patterns and different rhythmic patterns that are, are built inside of there? many certain beat frequencies and other resonant states. And when Darren was in university, we, we um, did a lot of study looking at music and trance and how many different indigenous and ancient cultures would use music and chanting to train themselves into certain states of consciousness. Especially like certain rhythmic drum beats and that sort of stuff, certain brainwave patterns. Yeah. And so Darren and I, especially myself, I was told by my spirit guides, when I was very young, never to take anything of necrosynthesis or drugs, anything that would in any way interfere with my mind, interfere with my mind and my thinking capacity, but to keep it pure, to be able to hear the sounds and to be able to go into altered states of consciousness through use of music. And so we were very interested in then how to trigger certain sounds to create through mantric patterns to go into these altered states of consciousness. And especially in these key areas, what does it mean? And what did the ancients taught us by looking in these sacred sites. Mm. So this has been our research and being involved in the Academy of Future Science. We've worked with other than musicians and other researchers looking in this area of looking at the ancient acoustics and of these sites and measuring it and understanding it and then also applying it to certain um, research. Yeah, so we've done independent analysis for the Academy of Future Science of the Great Pyramid Chambers and looking at the resonance patterns and how we can then convert those into musical scales through digital synthesis and how we can then retune our instruments and that based upon these harmonic ratios, which then goes into the whole debate we're seeing now in the scientific community and the music community about different tuning systems and different mm. equal temperament systems, 440 versus 432 and, this, and all this other research is really our specialty looking in micro tuning, micro tonal synthesis and digital synthesis, how we can retune the musical scales that the ancients had to also resonate with our body, mm. resonate with our chakras and our energy systems to bring back better health and harmony. And we're seeing this across the world now with, with sound healing and explosion of that is that a lot of people having amazing healings and a lot of unique experiences. And really we find sound and the different 
Tonal frequencies is a key to this health. But to go back to the ancient sites and to the grip points, these are like major acupuncture points of the planet. And so as we are activating our own body through certain sound vibrations, which we also are a temple of spirit, also these places like a temple of spirit where we activate certain parts of the earth's vibration as well. Mm, So we we can create a harmonious um, interconnection. And as we study a lot of ancient languages, there was a, you could say, a synthesis in languages in the early times, mother tongue, that used certain key, you could say, um, sounds or um, certain um, seed syllables that are quite universal in all languages. And I found this from my travels, that in most temples, they all resonate to certain unique sounds that you mm. can work with, especially with mantric patterns. I think no matter where you go around the world, these indigenous cultures always had this idea of the song lines that always would sing these points back to health. You know, behind us here, we have a picture um, that my wife drew of um, Chichen Itza, the pyramid, Kukulkan in Mexico. These ancients built into this pyramid, for example, the sounds of the Quetzal chirp, the Quetzal bird. So when you stand at the temple and clap, the resonance that comes back to you is the frequency spectra of the Quetzal bird in the area. And as you would clap or drum, into these stone temples, the pattern feedback would be of the sound of the birds. And then the birds would hear these sounds and the birds would come in. So this is unique activation of what we call supernature or the sounds of nature, the interconnectedness of these frequencies that were always sung, were always attuned up in these sacred points. And the ancients understood this. There was this musical soundscape that we could tap into for consciousness raising, but also balancing of nature, of Different. It was important that the sound of the bees, the vibration of the birds, was all part of this experience. Wow, I love that. <laughs> the way nature is incorporated. I mean, nature's the greatest healer, isn't it? Really, mm. it yeah. is. Coming in resonant with nature is very, very important. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned the 432 hertz and about the tunings. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I've asked a couple of people so far, mm-hmm. and I'm, uh, it's such a big thing to understand, and I feel like I only understand a, a teensy-weensy bit of it, but I just got a couple of crystal bowls today that are tuned to 432, and they sound beautiful. But is there a special healing frequency? Is there one frequency that's the best of all? Or like, tell me everything. Well, no, I don't. we don't believe there's one frequency. We think... Music is so unique that you have to have many frequencies. And so just to be based on one single frequency, I think is limiting it to the experience. Because when when we've studied, like looking at different other cultures and different traditions and ancient traditions, there's vast differences in musical scales, especially, you know, what we find in different, like the Tibetan scale and all the different other ones. And what we looked at when we did measurements and looking at acoustic research in the, in the Great Pyramid and in the Mayan Pyramids, there was also built within it a certain acoustic resonance and a certain musical scale that you could work with. Yeah, and I think this is more important. It's not just the musical tuning note or the fundamental tone, whether it be 440, 432, or what we find in Giza 424. It's the, it's the ratio between the notes that's in importance. Mm-hmm. It's the tuning systems of the musical scales mm. We are now based on what's called an equal tempered system, which has divided the octave into equal 12 steps of that we use the term sense. So there's 100 cents per note, 12 notes in the chromatic scale. And that was done because um, composers um, wanted to be able to play in the major and minor, 12 major and minor keys all together. 
so it has its practical applications but we know that handle we know that bark and that like for example handle tuned i think it was 422.5 hertz mozart tuned at 423 424 um more modern people now are tuning 432 berlin and these other orchestras tuned at 444 and 450 because they wanted the strings to be really tight and the violins and the violas to create certain sounds of course all instruments are built around that and what we realize is that certain ancient instruments were slightly different dimensions um when i was in vienna recently in austria we went to an um a old tuning system of a quartet and the, the tuning systems were quite unique and quite different and this is what fascinated me and this is why brad and i researched this area and why i went to university to study um sound healing and that was my major goal at university was to look at sound healing because I realized a lot of people had studied music therapy and how music affects you, but I wanted to look specifically how certain beat frequencies and certain tuning systems affect our body in resonance and how we could create different musical tuning systems based upon different fundamentals and different what we call microtonal synthesis to resonate different parts of the body. The ancient Indian sitar players and, and the systems of the ragas, for example, used certain tuning musical systems at different times of the day because they realized that our body works like a, a clock in 24 hours and that playing different scales and different tuning systems would resonate the body in different periods. And then, we under, and then we also understood this when we studied acoustics in pyramids and caves around the world, that each cave and each chamber had different tuning systems based upon the heartbeat to bring it into a resonance, based upon the brain waves to bring it into alpha and theta states. And so... Uh, I looked at this at university, looked at binaural beats specifically in my honours thesis and how we can use different binaural beats and different tuning systems to resonate the body into different states of consciousness. So like Brad was saying before, it wasn't any one frequency or one tuning system, but it was an understanding that nature and our body has certain mathematical ratios and certain harmonic proportions. And if we can retune our musical synthesis to this, then we could create certain experiences. And what I was saying before about the equitempered system is that a lot of the composers did that because it was an easy way to work together. But what we have now in the advent of digital synthesis and the ability to tune different instruments and different ways or build new instruments, as we see now in the sound healing community, they're building from, from different crystal bowl formulas to different hang drums or you know water phones or these other, all these crystal devices. People are realizing that you can create unique patterns between notes that are not based upon the equitempered system mm. goes into what called Pythagorean tuning, just intonation. And a lot of these composers like Bach and Mozart and um, Handel and these other composers used just intonation tuning systems. They used perfect fifths for their tuning. They, they didn't use equitempered systems. And what we feel is that by using these different musical scales, you can bring different experiences of different states of consciousness together mm. and i think what a lot of people are feeling with this i think why people are moving away from just say 440 as a tuning because people are feeling that these other um musical fundamentals have a more resonance with the body for example one of our friends um who we work with at the academy of future science alan howith he's the composer for star trek and i spent some time with him in hollywood now he composes uses in hollywood films and he's done all these big films in hollywood he composes in 424 as his mm. basic note. And he feels that this is the song of the dolphins and the whales. 
they have any he, as he's measured them um he's done a lot of research in the mind pyramids measuring acoustics and worked around the world looking at um different acoustic formulas but he feels also it's the tuning system um he calls it ra music where the the more ancient egyptian scales that the, the ratios between the notes are not always the same they're, they're slightly different so for example we have say a perfect fifth um, maybe 695 cents, maybe we tune it to 700 cents or 701 or 702 or 703. And each node, if it's slightly tuned differently, can create beat frequencies and create or natural tones and rhythms between them. Mm. And so it's not more so about melody and harmony as we have in the Western system. And I'm classically trained at a university in, in composition and, and, and um, that sort of stream and Beethoven or the symphonies that I had to analyze. But also we, we learn in technology, we can learn about then there's um, different ways we can interact with new musical um, synthesis that, can, that we, can, we can do now with this advent of technology. I think this is the amazing thing about digital technology that we can, we can bring the analog in with the, the harmonic singing or the crystal bowls, but also we can, as especially in sacred resonances, bring the digital synthesis in where we can tune different scales um, now through myself as software designer and music we can change the frequencies as they come out mm. but we believe the ancients knew this science and why they built certain chambers certain temples for different levels of consciousness mm. Mm. and so we see that the body is like really is a biotransducer for sound and so we are a biological um you know symphony which can augment these different vibratory sounds in a certain unique way that allows us to go into these sort of unique states of consciousness. So really working with a whole different levels of vibrations and frequencies, we can start going into sort of biofeedback with it. And this is what we looked at as using biofeedback technologies and other stuff to see how we could augment the body into certain states of consciousness. And we were really deeply researching the work of um, the Monroe Institute, looking at hemisync and um, what we call, you know, uh, brain synchronization yeah. through using sound. And this was my, my research was looking at the patents of, Darren, of Hemisync and working with the Monroe Institute. So the thesis that you may read online mm -hmm. is looking at Darren's study of the Monroe Institute. And we, we were very lucky to speak to many of the founders of it and who were working with some of the original programs back in remote viewing back in the 1970s using sound to help to basically induce certain states of consciousness for remote viewing and out of body experience and out of body sort of stuff, yeah. this was interesting because this fits with what many would experience when being inside certain chambers and when they're vibrating certain mantric sounds or certain drumming and certain beats they experience going out of their body to mm. certain states of consciousness so darren and i were very interested in what what triggered that what produce what sounds produce those sort of states of experience is there a particular sound is there a particular way of doing it um you know, what What can we do to allow people to also experience this in a more contemporary way? Yeah, and I think this is goes in the whole realm of consciousness then and it's consciousness expansion through sound. Um, one of the our friends we work with, Dr. James Hurtak, he um, did his um, research at the University of California of Arts um, back in the 70s. And he worked with Ravi Shankar at the Institute there. And him and Ravi Shankar did experiments together where they used certain sound frequencies and going to all the states of consciousness. And what Ravi Shankar said you could do through certain musical scale tunings of the sitar, he said you could project yourself outside of your body. Mm. And he said he did this with Dr. Hertak and he looked back at himself and he played musical scales upon his own musical scales. And what happened, the, the 
the advent of that would then we would induce a musical experience within the audience to raise them up in the consciousness because you are looking back at yourself you're looking at where you can attune in a sense he said he saw himself as Ganesh the elephant and his his hands become the trunks of the elephant and how he embodied Ganesh and then how Ganesh allowed the musical harmonics to flow across the audience to lift them up raise them up so this is some of the pioneering research done at CalArts back in the 70s, and this is what we're interested in, in biofeedback, connecting with the overself level, how we can tune into a greater consciousness and bring these harmonics and sounds through when we're in that older states of consciousness. And what we, what we felt in terms of the, the modern way of doing this, we could use binaural beats, isochronic tones, and do certain beat states. We realized looking at, rather than looking at melody, I was saying before, looking at different chord structures, look at harmonics and how the harmonic sounds can take people through certain experiences. So we formulated back in the late 90s, early 2000s, this idea where we're going to have everybody lying down in these sound baths. And of course, at the time I was doing music therapy, it was a one-on-one and sound, I wasn't allowed to use the word sound therapy or sound healing in, in university. Mm. It was only music therapy that was allowed to be used as a therapeutic system. Yeah. But I said, no, I want to study experiences in live performances of people lying down and and we know sound baths happened back in the 70s a bit but it wasn't really around but we had this vision um of what like Ravi Shankar was talking about that you'd everybody would be lying down and the, the, the waves of sound would wash over them and these you could use it as a, as a healing art and so um developing these different binaural beats in music um as a minor institute did really help people through different addictions, through different um, cancers, all different things that help them become healthier because sound is the only thing that resonates all our systems energetically. And also, you know, subconsciously, what we learned from Dr. Hertak and, and research we've done that um, we can connect through what is like 80 octaves of sound yeah. and frequency and vibrations. And even though most of them are inaudible to us, that each set of these 80 octaves of vibration um, combined in a certain unique way um, through, you know, the middle or lower or um, other levels of resonance, which is what you find in the gunas, you find in the whole teachings of the Sanskrit is that you look at all these different octaves. And this is what was made it interesting because that's what music is. I mean, it's really a combination of many frequencies and sounds that come together, not just one tone or one frequency that is the key. And this is what sort of bothered Darren and I when we were looking at this because people were focusing on just a sound, a, a one pure tone, thinking that would trigger certain states of consciousness. But we felt, you know, music, the harmony of all the different octaves of sounds is what actually helps to raise the consciousness and having this sudden feedback with it, which makes you want to move or makes you feel like you're going to move into these higher states. Which I think this is the key to the and I think, And I think it, the, the key to this also, that I was sort of saying could be on that too, is that, we had to be part of that experience. And a lot of the, the measurements done at Monroe Institute in that, of course, with double blind studies. And we, if you're part of the experiment, the, the, the outcomes are different, but of course, mm. then they validates the experiment because it's not a double blind study anymore. And we know that with consciousness, you participating and want to be part of that experience and go into it, then you'll get more out of it. And um, you know, this is, this is sort of part, the other part of the equation. How do, can we use mindfulness techniques visualization techniques and that as a biofeedback to put ourselves into this state whether it be breathing or whatever it may be and then we we're more conducive to that state and then we see it's amazingly working it's only really the last couple of years that binaural beats are now really getting traction again um, because they're understanding the brain and different levels of consciousness not only that like brad was saying they're understanding 
hemispheric synchronization. And this is what I think is so unique about science of sound and harmonics is that you can not only use your left or right brain, but you can synchronize them and you can have peaks in alpha and theta, delta, or even gamma states. And dip those different levels of consciousness tied in with the vibrations of the heart can create this unique, what the ancient Sanskrit is called the Turiya system, the heart and the mind are connected together then connected with a greater biofeedback is like Ravi Shankar said, with the over-self level, the higher self, we had, then we have this unique states of resonance we can build up step by step. For someone who might not have much of an idea about what are binaural beats and brainwave entrainment, I'd love if you could, in layman's terms, just explain to someone who basically knows nothing about this, how do, yeah. how do binaural beats work? How are they produced? And what happens in the brain? And what is brainwave entrainment? How does it work yeah. with sound? So um, the, the function of binaural beats specifically work through headphones mainly. And um, you put one tone to left ear, for example, say it, uh, it is 100 hertz, 100 cycles per second. And the other ear, on the right ear, you'll put another tone, say 108 cycles per second. And these two tones, 100 and 108, when they're played in the ears, there's a what's called a psychoacoustical function of the brain, creates what's called a frequency following response. The brain actually creates a third tone, like an audible third tone within itself. And what happens is the brain starts to entrain itself, starts to go into the synchronization and starts to produce this um, eight hertz tone, which is around the alpha sort of level, for example, between that is, a, is an eight hertz difference. And more complex binaural beats, you can put multiple tones, of course. But we learn that the brain has four to five states of different brain waves. We go from the lower of the delta, theta, right up to the, the gamma frequencies, up to 50 to 100 hertz plus, and the super gamma. And the brain's constantly in this state of flux of these, say, five different brainwave patterns. And they found out through binaural beats and certain tones that we can synchronize the brain into that and bring it into a state of coherence. So what happens is through this frequency following response, the brain comes into a state of coherence and we start to get peaks. Like, so we may have this underrolling um, brainwave state then we get this peak say in alpha or theta and the deeper we go, we can get this synchronization. And so the experience of what back in the seventies was called the alpha movement, the body goes asleep, the mind stays awake. And so normally we'd, we'd go into, when we lie down and go into sleep, we'd go into theta and delta state, but we, we're not awake within our mind. In certain states of sound meditation and also just sort of normal meditation, over 20 minutes to an hour, we can induce this coherent state and we, our body can be in theta state, but our brain can be peaking in alpha state. And um, scientists, when they start looking at this in terms of EEG models and that sort of stuff of Tibetan monks using certain sound, um, techniques that was fascinating how can the body be asleep but yet be awake at the same time so in a sense you are and this is what the state of meditation meditation was never about relaxation it was all about concentration the yogis understood that you focus on the third eye or focus on certain energetic centers of the body through certain sound induction techniques you can calm the body down and put it in this slow wave but also be able to expand your consciousness out and i think that's um quite unique in terms of um, what you can do with these binaural beats. From that, they also understood that in certain chambers, for example, certain sound chambers, especially say within Newgrange in Ireland, you could create certain what's called isochronic tones. These are certain um, beat frequencies 
that could also resonate not only the brain but the body as well because the body um as we know from joshua Leeds, he's done a lot of work in sound um health and that sort of stuff the power of sound is a really good book that you can look into he showed that the body is also resonating certain sounds mm. and vibrating the heart is at a certain vibrational rate the the blood is a certain vibrational water is a certain vibrational rate so sound works differently in water in the body and so if you tune certain frequencies to water resonance and this is sort of what we look at all these different resonance states of the body then we found a new grange then the body can go into this the body can be vibrated into this the organs can be sort of massaged through sound and can also put our body into this vibrational state and then bring our brain waves down as well even through the the drum at a certain frequency can bring the heart coherence, then the brain then into an entrainment mm. as well. And also these, um, the brain has what we call pyramidal cells, doesn't it? Mm. And so it's in these pyramid cells that act, like, uh, act as electrocrystal cells, which vibrate. And so this is immersed within, I'm looking at some of our notes, but in neuronal layer of tissue, which um, when it basically like liquid crystals, when they vibrate, they create certain electrical signals. Yeah. So they were looking into this, and a lot of researchers doing looking at this is how this does augment consciousness. You know, we don't need to take substances to go into these states. Sound can actually be a trigger to this. And so it's a very profound way of, um, and then this is the secret we feel why the ancients built chambers. We, um, and out of many researchers, believe that, for instance, the king's chamber and other some chambers around the world the building to these ancient structures were acoustic chambers. They were for ceremony, but they were for the priests, scientists who would knew the right mantric patterns or the sound vibrations, and they would take the initiate into certain states of consciousness through some sort of guided visualization mm. or guided process. So it's a profound way of healing. And it's what well, we are learning more and more that sounds not just in the brain, but also our DNA also, also can resonate to sound. And this is another little research that um, I think Susan Alexandra, um, uh, she did this work um, in the, I think it's Arizona, was it? And she looked at how the body is responsive to the sound on many different levels. And, and this is what we're also interested in. It's not a, just about the audio, the, the audio level. And this is why Darren and I were very big into having personal experience, why people need to come together, like sound baths, being in the presence of music, because mm. it's this whole body experience. It's not just a, this detachment, which sometimes we are very, I mean, the, the unfortunate thing I think what's happened in this last 12 months is that we've become very much attached to the audio experience of just listening now without feeling because the whole experience being in a group in a musical presence, like being in the presence of an orchestra, you just don't hear it, you feel it. It's all those inaudible frequencies that your body can sense. But unfortunately our technology today filters a lot of that out because of the qualities of sound and, um, you know, we don't want too much of this or less of that. So it's an interesting how we work with this. So like I was saying, being in the sound bath, your whole body becomes a resonating instrument. Mm. With sound is not just for the, through the iPod revolution here, which, which is important, but also the whole body is a temple of, of resonance and being in these sound baths in time-based periods longer. And I think this is important to also note is that a lot of musicians only created musical tracks three to four minutes, five minutes. But sound healers like Stephen Harplin that work also with the Academy of Future Science and that understood that we need to create musical compositions that are 10 minutes long, 15 minutes long, 20 minutes, an hour long. And of course, 
that and only had restrictions in terms of the music industry back in the 70s and 80s of only one or three point a track you know you can't put it on the album or a cassette tapes only 45 minutes long for example on one side cds and become 60 minutes long now with youtube and and streaming you can have 12 hours you know of, of sound experience and i think this is important it does take as we find in meditation studies 20 minutes to an hour to induce these states of consciousness and and with sound baths you can take people through a really really long experience of taking them down into different brainwave states so they can go into those states of consciousness relax and and create experience <laughs> I'm sure that was basic but <laughs> <laughs> no it's awesome that's amazing <laughs> I want to know about the travel that you've done and maybe have you been to some of these incredible places that you're you're speaking of and maybe could you tell us your favorites I've done a lot of research by proxy of course at least analyzing these sites I haven't been necessarily to Giza or Mexico yet but sort of Brad sent Brad on his way with his partner to do the research for me and I've sort of focused on other areas. So you've gone to Mexico, to Cal, to Guatemala, and specifically all the South Pacific islands and different stone temples and pyramids and mm. cavern systems and recorded a lot of these sounds in there. Mm. And um, I've done a bit of research at Angkor Wat, for example, in sound research. Um, in Bora Bora, in Java, in Indonesia, I've done a bit of research. But yeah, we've been sort of interested in this sort of South Pacific and this um, this side of Indonesia and, and the Asia Pacific region, you know, they have amazing um, levels of the Gamalan Orchestra, for example, when I was in Java, um, they understood certain rock chambers and rock gongs and, you know, all interesting ideas you could do that. Mm. And, and you've well, done the same, haven't you? Research? Yeah, I mean, my, of course, interest in the Keys of Enoch and my work and Darren's work with um, Dr. Hertek and Desiree Hertek, um, they have inspired us to do a lot of traveling and so part of the research with the Academy for Future Science and also with Sacred Resonance is that we've traveled around looking at these sites and my partner and I, we're basically come under the title uh, Project Supernature because we're looking at supernature in the way how nature goes into supernature and many of these ancient sites embody that. So we've done spent a lot of years traveling from the different Pacific islands um, because I think this is one area of the, the great ocean that we don't hear a lot about. We hear a lot about the famous places like Giza and, and Stonehenge and others, but we don't hear a lot about these places that no one really talks about. And I was, cause I have a great fascination in ancient history and philosophy and, and um, theology and so forth. Um, I was really interested in studying the, looking at the ancient history of the different myths, for instance, of the ancient civilizations of Mu or Lemuria. And I wanted to do some sort of, you could guess, research into this. And my partner, who is a scientist, he is a doctor of ecology. He was also inspired with me traveling. He loves traveling. And we decided to spend most of our, you know, quite a few times a year traveling around the world to these different locations. And so at the moment, I'm writing a book on the In Search of Mu. And we're looking at all the research we've done in these islands. My favorite places, it's very hard because every place is very different. And, um, you know, when I'm the doll you're talking about, um, yeah. you know, we went to um, Island, Little, Island you loved, Little 
remote island in the Pacific. Um, some of these places we've have been on some really like feels like Indiana Jones journeys. I mean, we've you know trekked through jungles trying to find these mysterious sites that we had very not very good maps trying to find and getting to all sorts of situations. But we found these really remote sites that no one's been to, and um, or if they have been, they only sort of refer to some really old books from the 1950s. And so we we're fascinated. Where are these pyramids in the Pacific? Where are these stone structures? And eventually found them. And yeah, we did sound measurements there and video work and um, and now trying to compile all this together. I would have to say um, Easter Island is very profound. If anyone hasn't been there, it's an amazing place. Those massive statues and just the whole mystique, how small the island is, but just, and, you know, really this island, you can't even see it on the map. It's like right in the middle of the, you know, the ocean, but this incredible culture that built these, Massive stone structures. Uh, and the so protected now, you can't really kind of get near to them. But back in the 70s and 80s, there was acoustic research done of resonance patterns between the stone statues. How they created, because Stonehenge has the same sort of thing when Stonehenge, a couple of years, many years, about three years ago now, probably. But within the standing stones, the blue stone, certain resonance nodes and anti nodes are set up, which called acoustic standing waves. And the East Island statues had the same thing. And I wanted Brad to test them, but they wouldn't, of course. It's very difficult to either. But <laughs> Supposedly this research was done and there's some of them are hollow as well. So they can be even struck to create certain sounds as well. But yes, I've been throughout Mexico and I went to Tikal also in Guatemala into looking at those pyramidal temples. Mm. And they're also very impressive because again, you can feel the sound, the resonance um, that are between the two temples and also like in Stonehenge and these other sites. So yeah, I, I wouldn't say I have a particular favorite because I think they're all my favorite for all different reasons. And I, I connect with them on all different levels. Um, you know, I, I was thinking this when I'm writing this book, which one's like, what side is my the place I really resonate the most with? And it's hard to actually pick them out. But I do find the ones that are also the most mysterious maybe are my favorite and the ones that no one really thinks about. Um, like in Tonga, um, there are these pyramidal mounds and, you know, um, and interesting structures out there and other certain islands that, you know, I find it fascinating. No one really goes to them. No one, even the locals are not interested because they're too superstitious about them. So they won't go near them. So these, these mounds there are all these stone blocks that are built into pyramidal structures. And they just sort of looked at it. They often put, um, I don't know, they use them for all different practical reasons. <laughs> wow. So cool. <laughs> Getting so much imagery coming to mind as you're speaking. <laughs> well, you're going to... A really beautiful place in the southeast. This is my homeland, the southeast of South Australia. I spent my first 20 years there. And uh, you've got a show coming up in the Narracourt Caves. So I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. Well, it's fascinating. We, we love, um, we do a lot of installation-based work. Um, and we're always looking for unique environments. We do a lot of work at LA Planetarium in the immersive full dome cinema. We can talk a bit more about visuals and I work with that after this as well. And we're always looking for unique spaces where we can take people into that um, ancient experience, what we call it, this new show called Ancient Lands, the Narcourt Caves. We really want to give people an experience of being in that site and feeling those different musical frequencies in, in, the, in those caves and mm. what, what, what the, maybe the ancients used to do in those times, in those environments. And I think this, again, it, it does inspire from our travels, you know, looking at these caverns, looking at these ancient places and, doing what you know what the shamans would do creating the sound experience for those who can experience this and take them on to a journey 
So going to the Narakal Caves just really takes you into this under the earth and into this more mystical space, which you connect with the earth mother, you connect into those natural frequencies around you. And also it creates a shield against all the other artificial frequencies that we are, you know, are constantly being bombarded with. Mm. And so um, it's a very sacred space into the womb of the earth and it's a portal to take you into dimensions. But it's, I think and, it's also it's this idea of sensory deprivation and this idea of deep listening, you know, it's a term going around a lot now, mm. but taking people in this, into this deep listening, deep experience of being in that space and, and getting away from the distractions of the normal temporary spaces and just that experience of being in the different space is can put people in unique in, in unique states of consciousness. And of course, too. what I've noticed, and I mean, what we do know with some of these sacred sites like where the pyramids were built or um, this is like in Mexico um, or in the Yucatan area, a lot of them are built on caverns, on cave systems. And they always saw the caves as like the entrances to the underworld where the souls after death will go into these underworld or where there are places for mystical, where there are secret teachings by those of um, special experiences with different masters or teachers of light that people talk about. So we're all really interested in, you know, you know, connecting to this idea too, you know, going into the underground caverns, into connecting with the earth's energy, feeling that vibration and really connecting with it. But also we, <clears throat> um, my wife, Jessica Curtis, she's a visual artist and painter and exploring the idea of different sacred geometry and sacred art that we're going to project up under the cave walls and give an experience of some of the um, ancient symbols, some of the sacred geometry that you get sometimes when you're in meditation, you start seeing some of these sacred symbols, some of these sacred visions. We see this in the science of cymatics, for example, this ability of sound producing phenomena in terms of certain, in certain water um, resonance cavities, but also within the mind and certain experiences, people see certain sacred geometry, certain mandalas like you have on the back behind you there, the different chakra patterns. A lot of these yogis saw this through sound meditation. They saw these beautiful, brilliant flowers and geometries of color open up. And I think projecting that onto the cave walls also can create this feedback with visuals and sound. And this is a unique experience for Sala Festival, being South Australian Living Artist Festival. We're gonna couple this idea of visuals and sound research and meditation or to sort of synthesize that together. We're doing three performances. We're doing one, um, Alan and Jennifer from Gratitude are joining, joining us for the second and then Trish Blythman for the third. So we're gonna create three different levels of unique sound experience and people can either come to all three or, or whichever one they feel and take people on different journeys each time um, with different visual and projections under the cave walls. Mm. <laughs> so Sounds cool. Exciting. And when is that? What's the date? <laughs> That's August the 14th, um, starts around midday, go, and then we're doing it also evening session. The last one is about 7.30, I think. Amazing. So, you know, and it's, it's quite unique too because it is it is out of the way for people. It's, you know, like three and a half hours from Adelaide, it's four hours in Melbourne. So, you know, for us, it's, you know, difficult to get there too, I think. Mm. So it's, it's unique that we're out of our um, boundary zone of what we normally do and you mm. know, looking at new ways that we can do things as well. So, Yeah. And Darren and I love doing different experiences like this. Like you mentioned before, we do a lot of insulation, sound insulation and visual insulation. And um, like we do this mostly in the Fringe Festival, different key festivals. And it's a way to reach out to just the general public and to experience different things. You know, you know, people don't sometimes really get us and people come there really wondering what we're on about. But I mean, that's the sort of the point. It was the point to get people to think about things, to experience something different. And we like 
the term fringe because it's been on the fringe of something. It's what normally people mm-hmm. experience. And each year, Darren and I try to, with things we're researching, try to incorporate into an installation. We try to visualize this, how we can give a general experience to everyone. And hence, we've been doing a lot with plant music and looking at plants and the resonance factors of that. Um, we looked at one year looking at how the body resonates and we use certain um, what we call sonification, um, data sonification, looking at um, different when you're in different states of meditation, what data you produce in the sense of the electrical signals, then we translated all that into music. And also um, other visual experiences like at the Adelaide Planetarium where we've taken people through a cosmic journey basically through the, the heavens and using sounds, looking at the musical spheres, especially back in some of the early research from, you know, Pythagoras, but also um, Plato, Plato and, and the great Sufi poets and that sort of stuff that understood that there's a music of the spheres and the stars and that we have the connection to the stars. And this is right, especially in astronomy too. We like to connect that the ancients, when they were out amongst the stars, they could hear these different mm. resonant star points. And this is some of our research too. So we're looking at different resonating star systems and how black holes produce certain acoustics called the science of astro-seismology, the study mm-hmm. of star sounds. And we're fascinated how we can take data in nature and convert that data into musical patterns, into musical composition in live performance. And we, what we believe is that whether it be the data of the plants, the sound of the plants, or the, the data of black hole acoustics, all these rhythmic patterns allow us to augment our consciousness into different states. Because by hearing them, we're hearing those different patterns that we're not, not, not normally audible to us. Maybe in certain states of meditation or certain states of, of chanting, vocal meditation, we can get into those states, but for a lot of people that they can't access these states. And so what we believe is that through data sonification and musical composition, you can induce these states. So this goes beyond what's called not forced entrainment, but natural entrainment, mm. where there's a natural resonance with the body, natural harmony. Um, a lot of the research back in the 70s, especially the alpha movement, was called force entrainment. You play a certain binaural beat at a certain tone or a certain sound. Now we're learning it's not about that. We're learning that um, in the, so the latest research in binaural beats, especially in what's called slow sleep state or slow sleep waves, that at certain times of the night, if you induce a, induce a binaural beat at a certain um, brainwave pattern um, to, in, term, in terms of stage three of sleep, you can increase memory 30 40%. But it has to be at a certain state of consciousness you induce those binaural beats. And so we, we are, of course, in the sound community understood this, that at certain levels of meditation, you would induce certain sounds and certain tones that could take people further. And so we're realizing it's about natural entrainment. It's about also you as the composer has got to be in tune with the audience, but in tune with yourself. So you know then how to take people through those different levels. Which it goes into what we call exoternal music, which mm-hmm. we can talk about in a moment, which... Is, a, is another term that we are working with. <laughs> yeah. Well, go, go ahead. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> well, I mean, the term exoternal comes from the, from the Keys of Enoch um, by Dr. Hertak, who uses the term exoternal. And basically, really what he was saying in the 1970s and what his research has been is that, and what we've been fascinated with, is that is to recognize how we have this energy system of the acupuncture because Dr. Hertak was doing research back in before he had a certain experience, which is what the Kizanaka is based upon. Um, he was looking at oriental sciences and helped to start up the first um, Institute for um, Oriental Studies in 
the US. And he researched acupuncture and he got some of the earliest maps from the ancient Chinese maps and that looked at the acupuncture meridians positions in the body. And he helped to then legalize acupuncture in America through one of his um, friends that they were doing research in acupuncture science. Yeah, they were, they were microfilming certain um, meridian charts from Tibet um, and the University of California. And then they used that research then to bring about acupuncture in the West in terms of the science. But what they found on these star mm. charts of acupuncture, that they were star charts of the body was connected also to star points, that the body wasn't just truncated and an energetic system that our energetic system is tied into the greater aspects of nature and that there's other resonating systems or other octaves of sound and vibration and resonance that we don't necessarily hear or see or feel that we can tap into you could say call it a global tone or a global soundscape or the music of the spheres and when you tap into these um fundamental notes whether the you know, for example the the great sanskrit texts talk about the universal om for example, that it's always resonating and that we're just like a subharmonic of that fundamental tone. If we can tap back into that universal current of sound, this is what Carla Santana sort of talks about, this, the global tone. If we can tap into the global tone, then we can re-synthesize and re-energize our body. So what Dodd heard next saw in 1973 is that in his higher consciousness experience, he saw how this energy works for a renewal process in our body. And so he wrote in the Kizunok how um, just quoting him, there is a renewal process that takes place on a cellular level, which is controlled by what he calls axoternal lines, or what is defined as vibratory lines, which connect levels of human electrochemical activity with astrobiological circuits that span a solar system and connect to certain resonating star system. So we are looking at then how these axoternal, which actually works with acoustic vibrations that run through the body. And so what Enoch, or what he experienced in the keys of Enoch, is known as a fifth circuitry system. We have like the fourth circuitry system, which is the acupuncture system of the body. But he also realized through his experiences and also acoustical lines of force that run through our body that connects to the span of the whole universe. This is called the sound and light system, where we're part of a greater global soundscape that we can tap into, and so, that we've lost that that vibrational connection to the greater music of the spheres. You could say. <clears throat> And that we need to retap into those song lines, you want to call them, or star lines, that there is this, this resonance harmonics going on that keeps us healthy, keeps the, the pulse of life continually vibrating. And if we can always retap into that, we can have better health, longer longevity of life, better, more energy. Axiotonal, axle means angle, and tonal means sound. So it's the angle relationships of sound. So think of the science of mantra, which is the science of sound. Think of the science of yantra, which is the science of visual geometry pictures. And we know that the two and one are the same. We produce the sound, it produces the form. We have the somatics. Produce the form also has the sound. So we see that there is also this energetic pattern of alignment within us, but also within the greater fields of nature. And within star points, we're finding that there's whole soundscapes within black hole acoustics, certain supernova, certain sound currents in the universe that are resonating at different octaves. And we're not referring to it, to astrological, but we're referring to the astrobiological. This goes beyond just the, the 12. This goes into the greater star systems. And so the ancients always believed that there is a certain vibration, musical pattern, acoustic pattern that we can tap into. And this is why in the great Sufi music, the great music that we find in all the different traditions, believe that 
pulling through a musical vibration that connects into the stars, the movement of the heavens in a unique way. So our body is built into this. And so by knowing the certain right vibrations and working with the certain musical cues with this, we can energize the body so uniquely that we can hold that energy for long periods of time. And so you don't get dissipated easily. You have this higher, you could say, vibratory field around you. And so hence you feel, which Dr. heard at Queen, medical astronomy um, is a new medicine of light. Wow. It's just a huge field, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> but anyone wants to know about that, external science is, uh, yeah, it's in the keys of Enoch, and, mm. and that's where it's referred from. Wow. So what about the music and DVDs and everything that you guys offer online? Tell us what can people access no matter where they are in the world? Yeah, so our website is sacredresonance.com.au. Um, we have a lot of our music on there. If you want to go for high-quality downloads, go to our Bandcamp site because they offer um, flag files and other um, high-quality res resolution of sound, which we think is important in terms of the missing harmonics. Of course, with compression technology these days, we feel that a lot of the audio platforms are now moving to um, more dynamic range of music, so Bandcamp's really good for that. Um, and lo a lot of our experiences are um, also live experiences too. We, we do one-off experiences for people. Um, we've got some unique stuff coming up for Adelaide Fringe next year, which we'll talk about another time. Um, but yeah, in our court case, we, we, we do offer a lot of stuff in terms of the experiences at different festivals and different experiences around the world. Um, we do, and of course, when we can travel, we spend a lot of time going around. But as US every year, we go to Europe traveling, conferences um, with different guest speakers and that sort of stuff. But our music is all designed to work for therapists, um, work for sound healers and that for them. And back in year 2000, a lot of um, sound healers and therapists came to me and said they want music they could meditate to to take them into a deeper state of consciousness. And that way inspired myself and Brad to start creating music for people that, like us, they wanted to go deeper in that experience and take you into those experiences. So we use a lot of um, different compositional techniques from sounds of space to the rhythms of the body or just frequencies for health. Um, you can find it in our music. But also looking at um, what we've done with a couple of our DVDs, we won as Gates of Light. And this was a unique project we did with Dr. Hertak and Academy of Future Science. And this was using certain visual meditations, taking people through certain colors, meditating on sacred sites that are based upon these different acoustic vibrations. And through the music that there is a certain, you could say, biofeedback process of tra entrainment. And so through the meditating on the colors and the mandalas, that we've chosen that represents the musical experience as well, um, you can go into a deeper state of consciousness. Mm. And so this is what some of the research um, you looked into doing certain visual meditation through use of color. And so what's different about some of our sound bars, I guess, to compare to some others, um, we do a lot with visuals. We do a lot with projection. And we think it's an important element that is often missed that meditating upon the images and the colors and going through a different level of experience. And this is what we're encouraging is taking in a very different level. You can have the very much, um, you know, passive version of just lying and experiencing and of course bathing the vibrations. And there's also a very active form of sound bath. We call it like an active sound bath, which mm. is really engaging in the visual experience while you're going through the certain sounds, which takes you through certain states of consciousness. Mm. So that's what um, we, often like to do yep so you can see some of that research on gates of light dvd we have it as physical dvd not as a download yet hopefully this year sometime we'll have it as a download and then of course all our music uh 
seven or eight albums we've got now, I think, <laughs> on there. And our YouTube channels, of course, in the future, we're going to have more ideas of musical examples, streaming, but also different um, topics like, you know, why 432, why 424, and why these musical frequencies. And a lot of people are constantly asking us, and we haven't shared a lot of this stuff. We just put it into our experiences, but never really shared it online. We have done a lot with researchers around the world, um, um, educating them, of course, and then using them in their in their talks and performances. And our stuff is out there a lot in different conferences, but um, we now feel also we can also share a bit of our stuff too. So yeah. it's, it's, I think music, I think music <laughs> and composition, you know, well, we've never over, been over 20 years now. I think it's taken us this long to really well, understand the whole spectrum of we've sound. We've never been very keen on the uh, online platform. I think okay. that's the uh, <laughs> thing. We're very much people who believe you need to engage with this personal experience. Yeah. And so Darren and I normally only present stuff through, um, you know, pre physical presentations at conferences or workshops we do and stuff. We don't do a lot online. And so, but we're now reaching out a little bit more. And um, yeah, as the technology, I guess, is getting better, it's getting a little bit more smoother. So. But I'll put up one of the links to our <laughs> talk actually on axitonal sciences. And we did back in, I think, 2014, no, I think it was. 14. 14, yeah. So people can have a look at our talk as well. So a bit more about our research as well. So great. Yeah. Well, I went to one of your events quite a few years ago with the with the visuals up on the projector. And yeah, it was mm. quite a deep experience. I remember feeling quite amazing. And I love that you're speaking about, you know, how we can access these states of consciousness in a natural way. People don't need substances. Mm. It's so wonderful. Yeah. Sound is, is an incredible catalyst isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think you would have seen that through what you've done, you know, we'll have unique ways of doing it, but you know, I've seen, I've heard so many stories of people. Um, one of my friends, he was a previous CEO at a big company. I won't say which one, but um, he got sick, certain condition, really, really bad. And he turned to sound healing and then now has this giant sound healing business around the world and he's healed of his condition. Like mm. in, in total change of lifestyle, you know, you hear these stories. It's like, but this is amazing. what we also mean by forced entrainment. We think that sometimes people use forced entrainment through drugs or through other, what we've considered artificial means, but music sound is a natural entrainment. It allows one to go through a natural way. But that's why for some heart people, it's a bit harder to do um, because you have to learn to relax. Yeah. You, you have to mm. learn to feel more and go within a bit more. Um, a lot of these other things people get into, I think, are very external things. Escapism. And it, it you know, it's it doesn't teach you how to go really within and do this naturally in your own. And the best thing about the sound experience is it's a collective experience together. It's not mm -hmm. an individual trip or individual experience you have in certain synthesis, but you have a collective experience where everybody feels that vibration together. Mm -hmm. And that's something unique thing about sound it can do. Mm -hmm. It's very unifying. It's very mm -hmm. important. Well, I think we could talk so much more. <laughs> Maybe I'll, if I do a second season, I'll have to get you guys back on because I know that you've both just got so much more to share. But uh, I think we better wrap it up yeah. today. Thank you guys so much for sharing everything with us today. Yeah. yeah. Thank Wonderful you for to your see you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you Thank and, for having uh, us. Good luck with the show in the Narrow Court Caves and, uh, yeah, with everything that's coming up. Can't wait to see what yeah. you produce next. Well, thank you. Much peace. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you everybody. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Shanti Sound Podcast.
You can access all of the show notes at shantysound.com.au forward slash podcast. I would love you to subscribe, like, comment or leave a review wherever you're listening. And connect with me on Instagram at shanti underscore sound and Facebook at Shanti Sound Australia. The music and sounds featured in the intro and outro are excerpts from the Shanti Sound Soundbath CD, recorded and produced by Michelle and James Byrne. You can download this and other music by Michelle and James Byrne at shantysound.com.au forward slash music. Remember, sound brings healing and presence. The truest and sweetest sound comes from within. So hum, sing and create sound whenever you can. Thanks for listening. I look forward to sharing with you again soon.